0: You're listening to the Spirit and Truth Podcast. I'm Maggie Ulmer, and on today's episode, Matt and I get to sit down and chat with a great friend of the ministry, Dr. Tesha Mallory, Dean of Chapel at United Theological Seminary. We have a great conversation about worship, liturgy, um, all of the different parts of worship, and we discuss her recent Firebrand article, That Liturgical Stuff, How Worship Shapes Orthodoxy. It's a great conversation, and I can't wait for you to hear it. Welcome back to the podcast. I'm Maggie Ulmer, and I am sitting here at the table with two of my favorite people. Will do you think? All right, introduce yourselves.
1: Matt Reynolds.
2: And I'm Tasha Mallory. Tasha's here. <laughs> Hi, Tasha. Hi, we Maggie. Do. Hi, Matt.
1: Hey, Tasha. We do love Tasha.
2: Yeah, we do love Tasha. I love you guys, too very Um, special to me
0: for those of you who don't know tesha is like i mean i feel like she's everybody's favorite worship leader (laughs) she's everybody's favorite worship guru that's really kind (laughs) sacramental like well let's give her
1: a little bit like her (laughs) actual official
0: introduction fine
1: yeah so she's uh the (laughs) dean of the chapel at united theological seminary and um also teaches at united
2: adjunct faculty yes
1: and um just in general awesome Mm -hmm. and she also is a part of the same local church at stillwater church and so uh, helps with the worship life there and um we get to spend a good amount of time with tesha because occasionally she travels with us on our spirit and Truth trips and leads worship and helps facilitate those weekends and so uh, we just like we joke about with emma and tony we have spent a good chunk of time in the car mm-hmm. uh, with Tesha <laughs> or on planes or things like that. And so, Planes,
2: trains, and automobiles. Ten yeah. hours in a car with you guys. Just a lot of stories. We're not going to tell them. <laughs> that's good. <laughs> that's, that's better.
1: <laughs> yeah. So we're excited to have Tesha today. She um, recently, just this past week, um, published an article with our theological magazine, Firebrand Magazine. And uh, it's all about uh, really why how we worship matters, how worship shapes us. It's about the liturgical life of the church. And so, um, Tesha, do you want to just start and just share, you know, it was a powerful article. I, I shared it on my own social media. I hope a lot of people will read it. Uh, share, I really sense that that just from the conversations we've had gets at some of your core passion. Could you share a little bit about uh, why you wrote the article, kind of what's the gist of it is, and why you're so passionate about that?
2: Yeah, so I grew up in a really solid um, United Methodist Church, and it was evangelical, and I was raised in the faith, and I'm so grateful for that, that, you know, the the vows that my parents took in my bapt like my baptism, they were upheld. The church it, it grew me and it shaped me. And I heard my call to ministry when I was fifteen. I was singing on a worship team and God called me and I said yes. And I remember at that time, this is kind of a typical evangelical bent church, I was very anti-sacramental and anti-liturgical. We were we had like the worship wars. We were like get The table off the platform. We need more guitars and drums. Get everything that is weird or that might not be um, interesting. I don't know if contemporary (laughs) contemporary, to people. Yeah, like we, we need to throw all that stuff out. Could
1: you, real quick, just for some listeners, could you define liturgical Mm -hmm. and sacramental for for folks? Because we probably have some church folks listening who those are not common words. Yeah,
2: so when I say sacramental, I'm um, centering on the practice of baptism and Holy Communion. So in the church that I attended, we had a table on the platform on the chancel area where we would um, celebrate Holy Communion once a month. And um, baptism is also a sacrament where we are called and claimed by God. So there's a baptismal font on the platform as well. There are are physical reminders and representations of God's um, action in that liturgical space. And so I was like we don't need those things. They're boring. Get it. Just take them out of here. Like they're in the way. I just need more (laughs) drum set. And I, I love drums. I love guitars, but
1: you're in a band. even. I
2: am in a band. I play lots of music, but I got to a place through my Christian formation. And now and through my testimony where those liturgical things or those sacramental things have shaped me and formed me in ways that I wouldn't have been without them. And so now I'm really passionate about teaching churches that things that are more high church, when we think about high church worship, um, with, you know, responsive readings and creeds and lots of scripture and communion is not in conflict with lower church worship, which is like worship band and kind of charismatic expression. And that's why I'm really passionate about how worship shapes us, shapes us because I was shaped through those things that I used to think were boring and irrelevant.
1: Mm.
0: So, and just to clarify, when you say high church or low church, that's not a comment about value. No,
2: definitely no. not. I, it, those are just kind of standard ways to describe, like, if you go to a high church, maybe like a Roman Catholic mass, there's it's more formal. Mm-hmm. It's prescribed. It's, it's pre-written. Whereas, like, a lower church service is... It's more free form, I would say. But I also want to say that it is prescribed and it is kind of pre-written. It's just not written down. It's in like in the pastor's head. So we'll talk. We can talk about that later, too. But but it's not value because I love it all. I love both.
1: You know, actually, and part of part of your own kind of core passion around that, I think, is part of what's made you feel like such part of the family here with Spirit and Truth, Mm -hmm. because it really gets into kind of our DNA about Having, you know, charismatic spirit filled movement that is also rooted in the great tradition and operating within the historic faith and the way in which worship is shaped. This kind of the liturgical life of the church is a part of how we stay rooted in the faith. Um, So could you talk about that a little bit I think you were just kind of implying this, actually, how every church has a liturgy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so define liturgy when you say, what, what, what does that even mean? And when you, you got these different styles, because people that are listening, you've probably got folks who are going to all those different kinds of styles, maybe um, have lots of, of those kind of more formal elements or churches where they don't have any of that. It's just mm-hmm. completely kind of free form. But both of them do have a liturgical style. So could you talk about that a little bit?
2: Yeah. So when I say the word liturgy, it it literally means the work of the people. Mm-hmm. And it is just the worship order on Sunday morning. It's our Sunday morning worship order. And I hear a lot um, of pastors say, well, I'm not really into that liturgical stuff. And I'm always like, but wait, you have a worship order. Yeah. Because... I'm going to I'm going to just take a wild guess here. You have a welcome at the beginning, you have a three song worship set, you have a sermon, you have a song, and then you have a benediction. And they're like, "Yes." I'm like, "That is a liturgy. Yeah. That is a worship order that you follow." Um so liturgy in the article, it's so important because it forms us. It can also malform us, yeah. right? So the th- the things that we look at, the symbols that we see, the the sounds that we hear, the words that we say week in and week out, they form us in the faith. So I, in the article, I referenced a study that was recently done that was, you know, like majority of evangelical christians they don't know like our doctrines they don't know the dogma of the christian faith they don't know jesus is fully human and fully divine they don't know who the holy spirit is some kind of star wars impersonal force out there thank you jesus that the holy spirit is not that um and in higher church liturgies like we talked about before they are using the language of the faith throughout the entire liturgy Mm -hmm. so you're saying the creeds you're you're proclaiming who God is, you're learning how to pray, you're learning how to confess your sin, you're learning how to hear the word, um, and it forms us. And it's the same thing with like the Christian calendar, the liturgical calendar. We follow a calendar um, throughout the year. It's a three-year cycle of the lectionary, but that's a different thing. It's a three-year cycle where we follow the birth, the life, the death, the resurrection, and the second coming of Jesus every single year. And as we follow Jesus through the liturgical year, we are formed into the likeness of Jesus. And our formation is so important because like, I could go to a church and sing three songs every Sunday and, and I'm, I'm not saying this to, um, down, you know, to offend anyone cause I am a worship leader and I love worshiping, but I can sing songs that just, you do this for me, God. You do this for me, God, me, God, me, God. We talk about I, I. Those, our worship songs are a lot about, they have a lot of eyes and yeah. me's in them. Mm-hmm. And th- that's not completely bad because I need to have an encounter with God and be changed by the power of the Holy Spirit. But how we are formed around that encounter also matters. Mm-hmm. So we can learn who God is. We can see into the life of God. We can rightly worship God. I sometimes, I'm like, I don't even know who we're worshiping. and i encourage people to open the service in the name of the father and of the son and of the holy spirit like let's just open the service in the name of god who are we worshiping here so just some thoughts
1: yeah
0: i um, so i love this and i'm thinking a thousand things while you're talking one is i just the most immediate thing you just said um I think that is actually so important to open the worship in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, especially in our more contemporary contexts where, and in Protestant churches in particular, where we have some environments have no Christian iconography at all, or very, very little. And um, and the same way that liturgy shapes us, our environments reminds us of what our purpose is there
2: yes our liturgical space so your church space matters i tell my student we do a whole you know session on this your liturgical space communicates where authority lies in your church mm. and where and how the how your church or your denomination or tradition believes that the presence of god is communicated or received so churches that have a table a communion table in the worship space in a prominent place they believe that the presence of God is mediated through communion in the mm-hmm. sacraments. Churches that have large platforms with the bands, you can say, oh, they believe that the presence of God is mediated through the music portion of the liturgy. Yeah. And churches that have a pulpit smack dab in the middle, you can say, oh, that church believes that the truth is mediated through the word. And so... I'm a fan of having it all I'm like get the pulpit up there, get the table up there, get the worship band up there. Cause the Holy spirit it's, all of these things are gifts Mm -hmm. that have been passed down to us through the the great tradition of the church. And why would we want to keep any of those good things from anybody? Mm -hmm. So I'm a fan of it all. Let's do it all. I'm not like, before I'm like, get it off the stage. I'm like, no, get it on the, get it on the platform. It's good.
1: how did you (laughs) this is just out of kind of curiosity and I've heard you talk about this before but I it'd be interesting to people how did that shift happen in you because that's that's a kind of a powerful shift that you're talking about from your where you were as a young person to where you are now
2: yeah wow okay so um before I was called to seminary I was called out of uh, a lifestyle. So I used to practice the occult. I practiced witchcraft for a little while, and I was in um, just not running around with the right people. And I experienced spiritual abuse, emotional abuse, relational abuse. And I, when I was, I was, I had de- deliverance. The Holy Spirit delivered me. I had an actual deliverance. Mm-hmm. Praise the Lord. And. When I left that, when the Holy Spirit brought me out of that, I was like, God, what do you want, to, what do you want me to do with my life? Like, I'm just graduating from my undergrad. I was going to leave the ministry. And I remember vividly I was sleeping on my parents' floor because my bed wasn't at my house anymore. And the Holy Sp- God woke me up like a month later and I heard the voice of God say, go to seminary. And it sounded like the rushing water, it sounded like many rushing waters. Mm. Mm. And I just remember, I opened my eyes, I woke up, go to seminary, and I was like, what? (laughs) Who wants to go to seminary? (laughs) Like, (laughs) you know, like, and then, so I'm like, okay, get on the Google. (laughs) Dayton, Ohio, who wants to go to Dayton, Ohio, right? Like, who wants to go to seminary in Dayton, Ohio? So I went to seminary in Dayton, Ohio, and One of our requirements at the seminary was to attend worship every week and we received the sacrament of Holy Communion every week as well. And I noticed over time we did the full blown liturgy of the great Thanksgiving like the big communion liturgy. I noticed every time I would go forward to receive the body and blood of Jesus and I would sit down and I would just weep. And I would I wept for like a month or two. And I didn't understand what was going on. Mm. I didn't have the language for it then. But now I know. I might cry. I know that <laughs> Jesus's broken body and his blood was healing my my brokenness. and And redeeming me. Like I was delivered through the power of the Holy Spirit. But I was still like dealing with all the things with abuse. And of course therapy and, and those things as well are good. But. There was something profound about the weekly reception of the Eucharist and Jesus healed me Mm -hmm. through that. And I was like, and then once I received the language around it through attending seminary, I was like, what are we doing? Like I can't manufacture any experience trying to be cool or relevant or trendy when all I need is to, is to just let Jesus physically mentally emotionally and spiritually heal me all i need is jesus and why are we in worship keeping that from people and he healed me through it and now i've i did my doctoral work on it and i teach it in my classes and i'm so grateful to be a part of a church that that um offers it every week it's Wesley. Yeah, and then, then I'm learning this is what John Wesley like mm-hmm. they were making fun of Methodists. They're calling them sacramentarians because Wesley's like, take it as often as you can. I was like, okay, we need to get back to this because there are so many people in our world right now who are just like in the bondage of the devil mm-hmm. and we need the body and blood of Jesus Christ to exercise some demons out of people. <laughs> Look, I went there. So <laughs> yeah, you're uh
0: we're familiar with that reality. <laughs> I know you are. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, w- one of the things that, so I think when you're around the church world for a long time, and then particularly if you are uh, a pastor or or lady, you know, you may have heard this comment, and which is, you know, I feel like if I end up reciting the same thing week after week after week, it loses its meaning. And um, I want you to speak to that. But I also one thing. Um, uh one of the things that i love about liturgy so i have a real i mean i love charismatic worship like or you know sort of off the chain worship and and i love um high church worship and um my kids for a brief time when my husband was a pastor in hamilton ohio for a while they attended a local catholic church for a year while we got settled and I used to go to the school events and go to the the mass and stuff where the kids were doing things, and I would just find myself weeping because um, one of the things that um, was so obvious to me was the total surrender, was the total surrender to what worship was instead of having, you referenced the worship wars earlier, instead of there being this constant negotiation about what worship is, there was no no one questioned it. Now, there's also a mindlessness that can be like not great. But developmentally speaking, how you were talking about how this repeated exposure to um, liturgy over the time in seminary and then, you know, growing up, these things, we it's okay if your kids find them innocuous at some point because at some point they're there. They're embedded and you lean on them and then you find out they carry the most weight like they they do the heavy
2: lifting yes it it's like um yeah exactly it does the work for you i tell pastors all the time you don't have to make this up the church has made it up the church not made it. the church has developed this over time you don't have this is not you are not here innovating anything of the faith right it has been given to you as a gift and that's good news yeah and it um it forms us. So uh, th- the other thing that's good news going back to what you said Maggie is that I am not always going to have a profoundly spiritual like feeling when I'm reciting the liturgy. That's right. And that's good news because I know that God is working and shaping and forming me even if I don't feel it. We have this like obsession with I have to feel it. Like God, if I hear people say this a lot like God didn't come today. God didn't come to worship today. I was like, I cause, you didn't. like, yes. I was like cause you did not like that statement. Cause you did Cause you didn't feel it. You don't think God showed up. No, God tells us that Jesus is present in the sacrament. And even if we don't feel it, or even if we don't know what is going on, God is working on us. That is good news. Even if I don't know. And this, yeah. And I love feeling the Holy spirit yeah. come into worship. Like I need that all the time, but I just think we focus so much on the just the feeling and the uh, the freshness, whereas like things that have been passed down to us, they stood the test of time for a reason, mm-hmm. and it forms our mind. It teaches me. So when I see things in the news that are heartbreaking, I immediately say, "Lord, have mercy." Christ, have Christ, mercy. have mercy. Lord, have yeah. mercy. That's
0: curious. Mm-hmm.
2: Yes, it just comes. It just comes out of me, and it's because I I was formed. I was formed at a Roman Catholic school when I was younger, mm-hmm. um, and I it just. Also, our worldview is shaped um, like under like before age 12, a, a large portion of our worldview is shaped. So even children learning these things is huge. Yeah. Um, in the article I referenced, the memorial acclamation in the communion liturgy, which is Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. I think of that as like a battle cry. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That's the, the gospel in a nutshell. Right. Mm-hmm. And. Um, we need to be reciting that every week, in my opinion, because it becomes a part of us. And if people ask, "What's the gospel?" Christ has died, Christ has risen, Christ will come again. How can we share our faith? You know what I mean? So, yeah, I don't know.
1: Well, I mean, I love everything that you're saying. <laughs> and I guess one of the things I just want to encourage folks on is that um, I th- and you've already alluded to this, but I want to emphasize these things are not in competition with each other not at all and you know one of the things that i think's been beautiful that we've experienced at our our local church the last couple of years is that you know we have at times pretty free kind Mm -hmm. of spirit-filled worship and you know there's times where we Mm -hmm. will um just stop and have a prayer time because we feel like the spirit is leading us and we're not going to we don't want to feel hemmed then to the exact plan that we went into it with. You know, we've had altar calls before the sermon because just the spirit was moving and it was right. We needed to pray. We you know, you could sense God was bringing healing or whatever. Mm-hmm. So we have a pretty free kind of environment. But we've also incorporated, like you mentioned, I mean, it's been probably a year and a half ago now, at least maybe two years, where we started having weekly communion. And uh, it wasn't some dramatic sort of thing. We just felt that I was, I was sitting in my office with uh, our two other pastors, and we just were praying, and I really felt strongly like the Lord said, you need to do this, and we did it. And we didn't make a big deal about it. We just started doing it and i think it's become a really really meaningful thing to a lot of people and every week i know i personally love it because it like every week before i leave it brings me to jesus yeah. it brings me back to the cross it brings me back to the hope of the resurrection and I also as a pastor it gives me like some i feel a sense of freedom because the last words of my sermon are not the most important thing. Yeah, Like they're not leaving with just some some phrase that I can come up with. You know, I still think preaching is super important, right? I'm all about it. I'm a pastor. I've done it for like 19 years. So I'm not against preaching, but I do think there's something powerful about just coming to the table together and focusing on Jesus as the kind of climax of the service. And so I guess what I'm saying is just encourage folks in a practical way. You can incorporate, you know, we've incorporated the Apostles Creed a bunch of times. Like, you can incorporate these things into the service and still be a sort of free-flowing, charismatic, Mm -hmm. you know, evangelical kind of contemporary service. Like, and uh, actually, I find that people who have never been exposed to this stuff, especially young people, it seems like, are like, they they (laughs) love it so much. I mean, I had a young guy. Uh, he's probably 30-ish. I don't remember exactly how old he is. His family comes to the church. We started doing the Apostles' Creed. He was so passionate. He made like a thousand cards with the Apostles' Creed printed on it so that every single person from the church could take one home, take one to share with someone, whatever, uh, because he was like, this is this This is is amazing this is is like the core of our faith we should be saying this like every day you know and it's like they're like they're like latching on to this stuff because there's real substance there it's not just about an emotive feeling in a song Mm -hmm. there's like something to hold on to
0: yeah i I, similar experience actually just with with emma winchester who's on staff here she puts together our uh emails that go out from spirit and truth and um around mother's day now this isn't like a liturgical thing but if you're in the if you're in the 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 methodist world you you know about the book of worship and there are all kinds of prayers in there now look I, i'm just gonna be honest some of them are great some of them are less great <laughs> but that's not what this podcast Good is about <laughs> yeah, it's okay it's all right but um but I, w- we were putting together the email f- around Mother's Day, and she said, "What should I do?" I said, "I said, oh, there's a really good prayer in the book of worship, um, f- uh, for Mother's Day. You should just use that." And so I said, "I'm sure it's online." So she Googled it. Just let me tell you, whatever's online, don't don't use that. That's not. Mm-mm. <laughs> so, but I I ended up sending her like a picture of the actual, you know, physical page book thing, and she said this is beautiful. Like she said, when is this from? And I look at the bottom of the date. It's, you know, from the early, early 1900s. And she was just like, why do we always just try to make things up? Yes. (laughs) Right. (laughs) You know, (laughs) she was like, why do we just constantly reinvent the wheel?
2: Yeah. And it also going back, like what both of you said, it ties us to something larger than us. Yeah. The communion of saints. So we, we always like in our current cultural moment like this is you know we have to do xyz we have to make stuff up I'm like well the church triumphant you know the church that is with Christ already they have written some excellent stuff and when we recite these prayers that are 2,000 years old um, or 200 years old Mm -hmm. it connects us to our brothers and sisters in Christ who have gone before us Mm -hmm. Um, and that's another thing like the church is more than your small local church you know in your town which the small local church in your town is important but I, there's like the Holy Ghost power in the great tradition
0: The I think we can't underestimate the significance of the communion of Saints especially for people who are younger because a lot of them suffer from not feeling like they have a sense of belonging or family and when you connect them to that larger thing and this is true no matter how old you are this is part of the hope of the gospel it's like it my mother and father may despise me but the lord never will
2: yeah you know i mean and i have a huge family you yeah, know yeah <laughs> I have a massive family, family.
0: yeah so. and so that and that is what the family of faith is and it and it transcends you know our current context it goes back yeah centuries and centuries and centuries so anyway
2: yeah um and w- with kind of the tension between high church low church yeah there's definitely room for it all i lead worship services like this we do this at stillwater um the idea is you have a pastoral team that understands um the movement of worship there's actually a It's called the fourfold pattern, Mm. the gathering, the word, the table and the sending. There's an order, but there's like room for the movement of the spirit within that order. And you don't like when we have these amazing moves of the spirit in worship, we want to honor what God is doing. And we want to submit to that because God can set people free and deliver people but there's a means of grace to the, the rhythm that we do every week in and week out and not every week, there's going to be this amazing move of God, but it doesn't mean that God's not moving. Yeah, It is amazing that the presence of Jesus actually comes into the room every week during communion. We just don't really think about it because we're mm-hmm. like, Oh yeah, we're just eating some bread. I'm like, no, actually we're stepping outside of time and space into the kingdom of heaven where all the saints past, present and future are with us in this very room. That's what's happening. And, it's it's the end time it's like a preview of the coming kingdom of god it's the closest we can get to jesus before he comes again it's a big deal and that's charismatic to me (laughs) (laughs) we
0: we just had a moment here while you were there i felt it (laughs) tasha you're saying this i looked at matt matt's like fire
1: (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's amazing you know before we started recording we were talking a little bit about this and um you know, I just mentioned that I feel like there's a lot of parallels between high church worship and charismatic worship. Yeah. Like I remember the first time when this when the charismatic world was new to me, I hadn't been to a lot of services where the ministry prayer time at the end was like the main thing. But that is in in sort of like the third wave charismatic movement that's kind of the thing like the preaching eventually leads us to the place where then we're going to expect that God is going to encounter us in a tangible way usually it's kind of like laying on hands praying for people receiving prophetic words that kind of stuff but the sermon is not like the high point of the service and it just reminded me the first time I experienced it I was like It reminded me of some of the experiences I've had visiting uh, Catholic churches and some high church traditions, because I'm like, in the same way, it looks different, but there is this expectation that I'm going to encounter God tangibly and in the Eucharist, and that's the high point that we're moving towards in the service. And so there seems to be just a great parallel between the two, and it's not neither one is like i think trying to minimize the importance of the sermon it's just we're recognizing that god can do things that we can't you know and we need his touch in a tangible way in our lives
2: yes so the word uh, if you look at the emmaus story the walk to emmaus Mm -hmm. with jesus the the revelation of god in the word and the response to the word work together in the worship service it's the full revelation of god is when when God speaks to us, we respond. Like, think about if you preached a sermon and then you were like, peace out, have a great week with Jesus, and everybody left the room what if God was stirring in people's hearts during your, Matt, you preach amazing sermons. Everybody is is just like, Uh, everybody's like, yes, Jesus, after you're done (laughs) preaching. But like, what if we didn't give them the opportunity to respond? So the response is like the completion of the revelation. You have to give people a place to come to the table, to receive prayer, to receive laying on of hands because God just spoke to us. Holy cow. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. And actually this is, this is, scriptural i mean yes this is not made up yeah
0: <laughs> i mean this is one of the things I, I i've been thinking as you've been talking like you know the the notion that we have to feel god no scripture says wherever two or more are gathered in my name i'm there it doesn't say wherever two or more are gathered and you feel goosebumps or heat in your hands or like you might start mm. weeping it just says and look, I've done and felt yes. all of those things. <laughs> Me too. And I love that. And I, yeah. I hope that happens every day. I love yes. that. But one, we're people of faith. We walk by faith, not by sight. And it says, if you're gathered in my name, that's the
2: requirement. Yes. And then, you know,
0: I don't know. Anyway. No, it's
2: real. Like I said, these things aren't in competition. It's just we want to form people in the Orthodox faith. I want people to have an encounter with, we want people to have an encounter with the Holy Spirit that like radically changes their life. But I also want them to know who the triune God is. Who are we worshiping? That Jesus, who Jesus is, you know, who the Holy Spirit is, what the church is, what the purpose of why we even come on Sunday morning is. And that stuff happens outside of worship too. There's, you know, catechism and discipleship. It all works together. Worship is not the silver bullet that's going to just make everybody orthodox. But I feel like when we throw it out because it doesn't seem relevant i'm like okay well look where we are i've seen some crazy things in churches no i'm like are we at a like football game like i don't even know what we're doing right now yeah so yes yeah all of that
0: i think what we what we long for is like the the imminent and the transcendent you know the the personal and intimate and also we want to be swept away by the yes just this big wonderful beautiful god that we serve
1: thank you jesus you know as we're just thinking back to kind of the core of the spirit of truth ministry part of why you know i feel passionate about this and i'm so grateful to have tesha with us today is because uh the worship life of the church we talk about all the time how our our longing is to see the church fully alive you know empowered by the spirit rooted in the truth mobilized for the mission All three parts of those vision that we tend to, that we emphasize are related to how we worship and our worship life in the church does in fact shape us. And I think sometimes we take for granted how little things, little practices impact us over time, but we shouldn't because that's the way it is in every area of life, right? Like whatever, you know, when you, you know, you work out, like you don't instantly see results that day but you realize the cumulative effect over time is oh man I'm stronger I can lift stronger weights now than I could six months ago when I started this I don't know when that happened it just happened you know yeah. well it's it's incremental it just happens because it's the repetition over and over that impacts you it's just same thing with spiritual disciplines you know it's why we read our scripture every day even when we don't feel like it or when it doesn't you know, nothing profound happens because there's a cumulative effect. And I think the worship, the corporate worship life of the church has that same kind of gravity in the way that it shapes us as Christians. And if we're not serious and intentional about it, um, we can, as you said earlier, malform people.
2: Yeah. And other things will form us. Yeah, Like that's what I was saying in the article, like everything's trying to form us everything's trying to tell me who i am and what to buy and what to care about and what to give my money to But we are the church like we are the set apart people of god the priesthood of all believers like we have been given an identity in our baptism and we have a call and a commission in our baptism through the power of the holy spirit to go evangelize the world because jesus is coming again and i just feel like this stuff is so important and what we do on sunday morning like relevancy like if i ask what's relevant i'm like normally that's at the bottom of my list i'm like yeah we want to have music that's not from you know play good music we want to do things that are culturally relevant but like i want like what actually matters and and yes and it it shapes
1: us over time and actually what's more relevant than that which is eternal
2: yeah Yeah, the the, (laughs) that jesus rose from the dead yeah i come to church i went to a church recently um a couple months ago and i was like this is like self-help this was like a TED talk and I was like, you know, I need to know that Jesus rose from the dead because I just saw this shooting over here or this, you know, this huge disaster over here and there's death and sin all around me. I need to hear every week that Jesus rose from the dead and defeated death. And when we take Eucharist every week, we come into contact with the risen Christ. So just getting back to those core things, like what you were talking about, it matters. It matters so much. And that's why I want to encourage pastors and church leaders to not just Throw, just not just be like just relegate it to other people all the time. Yeah. We want other people to be a part of it, but it's so important that you look at what you're doing, that you consider how you're forming people over time. You know, because it's more than just your sermon. Yeah.
1: Do you just on a practical level? I think just I mean you started to allude to this. Is there? Um, w- what's one or two things that you would recommend if there's a pastor or worship leader listening right now? Mm. Just in the next couple of weeks as they're thinking about worship services and kind of going about their, their stuff, what's one or two things that you would recommend for them?
2: Yeah. So I always recommend a book. Um, it's called the worship architect and it's by Constance Cherry. Mm. I love Constance Cherry. I feel like she's like a spiritual mentor of mine. I've met her one time and I fangirled out a little bit. Um, so the worship architect by Constance Cherry, it is a very practical, uh, teaching tool. It has some, you know, theological depth as well for how to design worship. And most people will find that they're already kind of doing it this way. And this is rooted in the historic faith. So this is not something that Constance innovated. It's something that's been happening for centuries. Um, She will help you just look at your worship service and help you ask questions. Why am I opening with this song? What words am I saying that like, how am I communicating what we're doing and why we're here? How, how, are the, how is the congregation participating in the, the liturgy? Liturgy is the work of the people. It's work. It's sacrifice. You're mm-hmm. not like just coming and sitting and with your coffee and watching other people do things for you. you. You participate in that. How are you giving space for your congregation to participate? And how are you leading people through encounter with God? So read that book. And then also, if you're Wesleyan, which we're a Wesleyan, this is a Wesleyan podcast, right? Yeah. Um, read John Wesley's "The Duty of Constant Communion." That's uh, his sermon on communion, the duty of constant communion, and it, it addresses a lot of those things like, oh, if we do it more often, it won't be special, yeah. or and it actually tells you what you what communion actually is. It's medicine. We need medicine. I need medicine every week because sin is assaulting me all the time. I'm in the world full of brokenness, and I need the medicine of Jesus every week because I forget, you know, so easily.
0: So Matt has a question about leaders. I have a question about laity okay. because this is this is something um, that I I have strong feelings about. But um, so, what would you do if you what? how would you help Laity sort of move into something that feels a little bit uncomfortable for them? Because, um, I'm going to say it one more time. You referenced a worship wars earlier and I've, I've been caught in the crosshairs of that before. And, um, how would you, yeah. How would you just, what would you, what advice would you have for the people in the pews around either incorporating more liturgy or, or in making space for more free movement?
2: Yeah. Um, This is always a tough thing because worship is so people become very possessive over it it's
0: very personal and this is this is
2: exactly what we're talking about that what we do on sunday morning forms us so what you do on sunday morning for years and years and years and years and years and years and years by the time you're older you're like this is what we do this Mm -hmm. is how we do worship right or like so it has so much power to show us who god is and it forms and shapes us. That's one of the that's probably a pretty good argument that shows how much it shapes us. People become so possessive of it. Mm-hmm. So I think um, understanding that we, your church or our denomination or whatever, is like one expression of the Christian faith. we're there's people for two thousand years who have been worshiping Jesus, and what we know and experience is just very small and in part compared to like, the whole even global Christianity around the world yeah um so having the just having the posture to say okay Lord I know I've experienced your presence this way but wow like people are coming to Jesus like crazy especially in like the global south through Pentecostalism like maybe there's something to that that I need to like sit down and learn and and take a seat but also just be willing to surrender and and say, God, like meet me here. Just like when I experienced Jesus in the sacrament in the communion, when I was being healed, I had an I had an openness. I wasn't just like, gosh, we're doing this liturgy. This is dumb. I'm not going to do this. Mm. I mean, I probably wasn't like super excited about it, but I was like, no, I'll I'll rec- I'll receive this. Yeah. And God has so much for us. God. God wants to heal God wants to when we worship God wants to nourish us by the power of the Holy Spirit to go evangelize like worship's not the be all end all great we have a good worship service but if we're not like if we're not taking surrendering to Jesus in worship surrendering to the the teaching of the faith that's been passed down to us like we need to go evangelize after that and that's also tied in with spirit and truth <laughs> um, we believe that just like be open be open to saying things that might feel weird because it will shape your, it'll shape your heart and your mind and your spirit. Be open to, maybe you're not going to plan. You know, the Holy Spirit shows up and your pastor's like, "Wow, we need to pray for people." Get prayer. Stop sitting on the sidelines and enter the game. <laughs> like,
1: amen. These,
2: surrender. Just surrender. I, if I wouldn't have surrendered, I wouldn't be the dean of the chapel at United Theological Seminary. I wouldn't be where I am. I would have been. If I would have said no to God, don't, seminary in Dayton, Ohio. Now I love seminary in Dayton, Ohio, and y'all should come to the seminary in Dayton, Ohio. Mm-hmm. But, so for lay people, I'd say surrender, learn, read, read the worship architect, mm. read, uh, read John Wesley. Um, you, that theology stuff is not just for pastors, it's for everybody. Amen. And, A lot of times lay people can push these movements in churches as well. That's right. Amen.
0: All right. One last question, and then we're going to wrap this up. This has been an awesome conversation. Is there any particular, like, tool or moment or hymn or piece of liturgy that you just absolutely like, you love participating in? And I want to know from, I want all of us to answer the question. So Matt, what's your I will start there and we'll end with you, Tesha. What what like is there something from growing up or just some moment that you're like, I love it when we do this in worship? Uh
1: there's certain songs, both contemporary and old hymns, that just get me every time. And the ones that I feel usually just I feel this surge of passion is the ones where we sing our faith yeah like there's a couple of contemporary songs that are like this and there's some wonderful hymns where you just kind of like sing the story of your faith and like you know starting real you know you're you work your way through the the death the resurrection and eventually then like when we get to like meet jesus face to face and like when you make that progression and you talk about the triumphant Mm -hmm. like church yes man that just like i mean i i really struggle to not cry
0: yeah there's a lot of crying yeah that's good it's so
2: true yeah
1: my other thing this is just a quick one is uh when your husband rob ulmer leads comedian because i've never (laughs) met anyone who's so passionate about that and so he does like it um that's you know basically we just kind of like i asked him to do it early on like this is you know a couple years ago and then like it was like kind of like at first I was like, you want to do that again this week? Hey, can you do that again this week? And then it just became like he would just like I would preach and then he would do communion and it was awesome. <laughs> and um, because honestly, it was it was just maybe this is really selfish to admit out loud. That's been such a grace for me because it's a way for me to receive every week. yeah Like I like, you know, I I preach and then I go sit down in the front see and then i just receive like i get ministered to as he's declaring the truth of what we believe and you know leading us through prayer of repentance and confession and then you know uh offering forgiveness and then leading us to the table like i need that every week in my life and i love you know when when that is done when communion is led by someone with a humble heart who's rooted in the faith and actually cares about what you're doing that's powerful yeah
0: well um the answer for i love the doxology i just love oh, it Oh, that's awesome and every setting doesn't matter what the melody is and dancing s- over here. Yeah, yeah i know <laughs> every time ooh, liturgy. <laughs> i know i i love the doxology whether it's spoken or sung wherever i and i've sung it several different ways i love the there's a. Uh, what do you call the evening, like when you sing the song at like night? Like the compline, yeah, mm-hmm. the like the compline versions of it, and I just every time I'm always like,
2: it's like an anthem. Yeah, it's like it, forming you praise in the face. God,
0: from whom all <laughs> blessings flow. Yeah, I just that.
2: Yeah, it teaches you who God is. Yeah. right. Like mm-hmm. God's one. Every good gift comes from God. God yeah. is Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Yeah.
0: I all love right,
2: Tasha. I would say that my favorite liturgical piece is the communion liturgy mm-hmm. and just because I I've studied it and I teach it and I'm very passionate about teaching it and because of what Matt said we confess our sin and receive pardon every week we just think that people just do this in their everyday lives but they don't you know not every morning I wake up and go Jesus forgive me of my sin so I need that every week you know yeah. I need to have that that's a part of forming us in the faith but then also the liturgy itself I can only speak to the like the Methodist liturgy, the United Methodist liturgy. Um, It wasn't written in like 1960 Cokesbury. This stuff was written. This was on the lips of the martyrs and, you know, just the church fathers and church mothers. This ties us back to the early church and um, it's powerful. Like when we say these words, we're joining with all the saints, past, present, and future. And I could do a whole podcast on just teaching the liturgy and it would just (laughs) give me joy. Maybe I should do a teaching on that. Um, So that's my favorite is the communion liturgy because it is, it talks about, it's Trinitarian, talks about the past, what God did through the salvation history of Israel, what God did through um, salvation in Jesus, the the presence the present and then the preview of the world to come and it's all in the liturgy and that's everything that we do when we come to the table through the liturgy of holy communion
0: it's my favorite (laughs) thank you for that Well, that's been our episode for today, you guys. Thank you so much for listening. Hit that subscribe button wherever you are listening to this podcast. And if you would like to support the mission and ministry of Spirit and Truth, head on over to our website, spiritandtruth.life. Slash give. And while you're over there, um, check out uh, the front page where we have some big news about the Spirit and Truth conferences. Registration is open now. And uh, you can come and join us in 2024 in uh, Mobile, Alabama, Conroe, Texas, or Dayton, Ohio. So hopefully we'll see you there. All right, guys, we'll come back to you in the next conversation. Bye. Bye.